Alright, let's fire up some dragons there. Okay, come on. Jump, jump. Son of a... No, I said jump! Listen, Dirk. You're gonna die. Yep, and you die. That's it. I've had it. I've had it. I can't play this game. I don't know why I keep thinking I can. 20, not even 20, 30 years you have taunted me, Dragon Slayer. Taunted me. This is your last time. All right, now I need something else to play. I can't do this. What's this? Space Ace? Okay. It's Don Bluth. I'll try anything once it's Don Bluth. And start. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can a sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello once again out there in podcast land. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And this may be the biggest struggle we've had yet in terms of car overall cartoon quality. It's, uh, it's a show, all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's kind of pushing the envelope a bit. I, I sadly enjoyed watching reruns of this on Boomerang. I mean, not on Boomerang, on a Cartoon Network when they did their, like, action hour segment, which was just, like, random Hanna-Barbera, like, action cartoons, and this show got thrown into it. Right. We're talking about Space Ace, which began life not as, a, as an animated series, but as a Laserdisc game follow-up to the smash hit Dragon's Lair, and produced by the same team of Don Bluth and Rick Dyer for Cinematronics. And for those who don't know what, a laser, what the Laserdisc games were like, it was like, well, it was literally like you are playing a cartoon, kinda. Yeah, the, the best comparison we can make is they're the grandfather of the modern quick-time event. You see these in games like Mass Effect or Telltale's... Uh, walking dead games where there's a predetermined sequence and you have to press buttons in time with that series of actions. And if you goof up, you get shown how you screw up. Yep. That's pretty much it. It, I mean, I don't think a better way to describe it, except the only difference here is you get really nicely done, Don Bluth animation. Pretty much. It was that animation that caused the laser disc boom in the first place in 1983 and 84 and that boom would eventually go right to bust for reasons that are the milieu of another podcast entirely <laughs> well i'll just say personal opinion you the only one i'd say is worth playing outside the don bluth ones would probably be like time gal fair fair but that's getting off topic <laughs> but these were popular for just long enough for Ruby Spears to pick up the rights for both Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. And while Dragon's Lair got its own full-fledged series, Space Ace was uh, left to to bolster the ranks of the Saturday Supercade. Yeah, that was uh, that's an interesting little thing. Saturday Supercade was a block of shows that Ruby Spears made that lasted two seasons. However, some of the shows kind of changed with each season. The first season was Frogger... Donkey Kong, uh, so, and they do this weekly swap between Pitfall and Qbert, and then the last one was Donkey Kong Jr., 
season two, they just threw out Frogger and Donkey Kong Jr. and Pitfall and replaced them with uh, Kangaroo and, well, Space Ace. Yeah, and we're not going to do an, an episode on the Saturday Supercade as a whole. We've instead decided we're going to split the segments up and just revisit them here and there because each one has its own storyline, its own premise, its own reoccurring gags. And to discuss them all fully in depth in, in one Saturday Supercade Super Podcast, well, if you thought we went long on Wacky Races, brother, you wouldn't have heard anything yet. <laughs> Yeah, that and they're all separate shows anyways, even if they are combined together. So it, it just feels more like it'd make more sense to separate them out to me. Right. Now, even though uh, this uh, would have probably been right up Bluth and Dyer's alley to continue animating these characters, they had no involvement in the Ruby Spears production. But Space Ace was probably the easiest of the bunch to adapt to a cartoon because you had your character model sheets and everything... All done for you. Yeah, except they didn't quite follow those model sheets exactly. But, no, you know. there were some changes, although admittedly some of them were to get characters approved by Saturday, by, was it CBS who ran the Supercade? Yes. That, that had to get past CBS censors, because I don't think Kimberly's uh, prodigious bosom would have quite passed muster for kids' television. Yeah, they added a little bit more to her outfit to block off that cleavage. Though her outfit at least still looks somewhat like her game outfit. That's more than I can say for uh, Princess Daphne and uh, Dragon Slayer. Her outfit in the cartoon looks absolutely nothing like what she wore in the game. Yeah, they, they, they had to probably make more changes to Daphne because uh, that girl could probably cut glass without a glass cutter if you catch my drift. <laughs> Let's see. Wow. Those guys, Don Bluth and Rick Dyer must have been thirsty back then. Well, uh, funny you should say that. Uh, when asked about Daphne's figure, Don Bluth said he, due to the budget they had, they couldn't afford an actual like uh, model to uh, base anything on, so he actually used Playboy magazines as a reference and was rather embarrassed to admit it. Uh, this explains... Just enough. <laughs> still, Space Ace was still an easier task for adaptation than uh, the abstract Qbert or the simple threadbare storyline of Frogger. Yeah, I would definitely say as far as Saturday Morning Super Cake goes, this is probably the most accurate to the source material of the bunch. So that plot is standard sci-fi B-movie stuff. A would-bye alien despot named Borf. Yes, that's his real name. Is trying to conquer the galaxy, and partners Kimberly and Space Ace himself, aka Dexter, are working to stop him. Now, the hook that makes this distinct from every other Flash Gordon knockoff is Borf actually successfully scores the first hit on Space Ace, hitting him with his Infanto Beam. Yeah, it's his most impressive weapon, and while it's not quite a direct hit, it's enough to reduce the square-jawed hero into a gangly, awkward preteen kid. Named Dexter. Yeah. Now, in game terms, this translates to you being able to temporarily power up to the adult ace for a short time and change up the solution to the various puzzles you're presented with. 
In the cartoon, though, the preteen Dexter and the adult Space Ace switch back and forth whenever the plot demands it happens, with no control over it on the hero's part. And I just remembered that one of the lines from the intro to the game is like, Help Dexter regain his manhood! (laughs) Oh, dear. But yeah, Space Ace and Dexter flip back and forth, also switch voice actors, too. Interesting thing, though, just wanted to mention one thing about the game. Do you know who voices Borf in the actual video game? Don Bluth himself. Yep, with uh, nice little voice effects, but yes. So uh, Borf has kind of an impressive voice actor in the uh, cartoon interpretation, too, which is... absolutely. uh, Arthur... What's his name? Burkhart. Thank you. Who I know best as Destro in G.I. Joe. (laughs) Here he goes from complaining about intergalactic graffiti to being likely to commit it himself. By the way, that's a pretty good Destro imitation. Oh, thank you. Destro! Sorry. (laughs) We'll have to save that for for the opening of a G.I. Joe episode. (laughs) Interesting fact, though. Arthur Burghardt was also the voice of Singe, the villain of the Dragon Slayer cartoon as well. That's right. So he got to be the villain in both the Don Bluth-based cartoon series. And he's not the most famous voice actor in the show, either. Because Kimberly's voice actress is Nancy Cartwright. If you don't know who that is, well, don't have a cow, man. Yep, Bart Simpson, him, herself, in this case. (laughs) Not to mention Nelson the Bully and some other voices from that series. Also took over the role of Chucky Finster in Rugrats after uh, Christine Kavanaugh retired. Okay, I I can hear that, actually. And was one of the snorks, but I can't remember which one right now. But yes, I I love Nancy Cartwright. She's a great voice actress. I don't think this was the role for her, though. (laughs) No, nor was it necessarily the script for her. It's because, uh, and I and again, this is probably because of the censor involvement. Because this was early '80s. This is when we were still when cartoons were still being affected by the oversensitive '70s era censorship in cartoon shows, and which you see a lot in this. It's like, oh, we got laser guns, but most of the people were going to dispatch is merely by dodging their attacks or something. But uh, in in the game, she's got like this sultry kind of pissy. I don't take any bullshit kind of female like voice in the game. And then here in in the cartoon church, she sounds just like an annoyed teenager. (laughs) As for a space ace himself, uh, the Dexter form is voiced by Sparky Marcus, who had a very brief career, mostly highlighted by performing Hanna-Barbera's Richie Rich. Yep. And the adult form is uh, Jim Piper. And I looked at his uh, CV on IMDb and, this appears to be have been his only reoccurring role. Everything else he did was a one-off. That's a pity because he, he's actually pretty good. I mean, I, I, I again like I think I like the voice actor in the game, which I'm kind of there's something weird about that that I'll get to later. Right. But uh, I think of the voice actors. Well, not count. Okay, he's probably the second best voice actor of the main cast in this, in my opinion, because he he sounds he sounds like he's having fun at the very right. least. Absolutely, and it's, and it's his performance that actually helps elevate this material a little. Boy, does he have to deliver some lines in this show. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
And rounding out the voice cast is Peter Renaday as Space Marshal Vaughn. And he has a long list of credits. The two highlights I want to mention are his voicing Master Splinter in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoon and numerous turns voicing Abraham Lincoln in both animation and for the Disney parks. Wow. He was the original Splinter. That's Yes. Yeah, he's got, oh yeah, he's got quite a, like, I I actually didn't look him up. Yeah, he's got quite a voice cast list. He was like Mandrake the Magician in Defenders of the Earth. Mm Mm-hmm. Defenders of the Earth. Defenders. Yep. The the only cartoon I can think of that has the only theme song written credit I can think of for Stan Lee. Stan Lee wrote the theme song for Defenders oh. of the Earth. Oh, no. oh must I can only imagine how that goes. It's a it's a thing. Oh well, he was also Abe Lincoln in uh, Batman Brave and the Bold. That's actually pretty yep. cool. And Animaniacs, well, yep. he really is just the go-to Abe Lincoln guy. I know. The Grand Adventures of Billy and Mandy, President Abraham Lincoln. I can think of many worse characters to be a go-to person for. That's an awesome one. Oh, he was Ebenezer Scrooge on the Real Ghostbusters. I remember that episode. But, I do too, yeah. But that, that's a, just an interesting, That that's kind of an awesome, like, of, of all historical people to be a go-to for, that one's awesome. Oh, he was Master Blaster in Kid Video. Holy crap. See, I reviewed Kid Video. That's a that's a show. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a show that's a, we'll probably never see the likes of again, thanks to uh, all those music rights. Yeah. It's a weird show in the fact that season one of that show is absolute garbage, but season two is actually pretty good. So... Uh, I don't know what happened, but for some weird reason, like season one must have got the cheapest animators possible, and Deke got a budget raise or something, and made second season look absolutely amazing. But that's again getting off topic. Um, sorry, I never looked this guy up, so now I'm just like I'm learning stuff. <laughs> well, it's uh, not often I, I I get to introduce you to new things. Yeah. Uh, see, yeah, I'm usually really up to date on. Most voice actors. I, I do know that uh, there is a popular voice actor that was doing an adi- a- additional role in one of the episodes because uh, there's that uh, in the uh, Missile Madness episode that we will talk about in a bit. The villain guy Jocko is vo- obviously voiced by Michael Bell. So. Oh, okay. So I, I was like listening to it. I was like, that's like Michael Bell. I mean, that really sounds like, and I looked it up and he's like listed additional voices. Like, I knew it. <laughs> Sound it sounds like it sounds like All Star from the Snorks. So I know it's him. <laughs> it sounds like All Star trying to sound mean. So I guess then it sounds like Lance from Voltron. So All right. <laughs> so now let's get back to the premise and uh, the Ace Dexter dichotomy, as it were, <laughs> because this is where things kind of break down storyline wise. Ace and Kim are trying to keep these transformations a secret from their boss, the aforementioned Space Marshal Vaughn, despite the apparent fact that a space force of that size should have access to all manner of scientific geniuses and medical experts who could very easily be working around the clock to fix the effects of the Infanto Ray. Yeah, it's a flimsy it's a flimsy plot reason to, you know, just keep that going on because it's like yeah because we didn't watch the first episode but in the first episode yet 
Kimberly's all like, we can't let them find out that you and Space Ace are the same person or that, or no, we can't let them find out you got hit with the Phanto Ray or else you'll get grounded. It's like, mm. it's like yeah, because this is helping so much. And furthermore, uh, getting back to Kimberly, whenever Ace becomes Dexter, it's often to her complete annoyance, and in some episodes she outright blames him for his transformations bungling things up. Which, again, is something completely out of his control in this iteration of the story. If Kimberly knows that this is such a liability to the missions, missions where, I should remind people, lives and interstellar security are at stake, why is she insisting on keeping up this charade? Uh, You know, it's worth mentioning in some episodes, these guys aren't exactly the best (laughs) at what they're supposed to be doing, but I'll get to Uh, that True. Yeah. Now, I know I'm usually inclined not to let logic get in the way of a good gag. You know, I'll point out silly things that happen in He-Man cartoons and She-Ra cartoons and the, the silly stuff in Speed Racer. But this is the central premise of the show we're talking about here. The intro of this kind of uh, frames this, though, as a separate continuity from the game, which is kind of, if you've played through the game, it would have to be. <laughs> right. Now let's talk about that intro. See, that intro is interesting. I do like, if there's anything I'm going to give this show credit for, I do like the little instrumental theme that they give Space Ace in this show. It's actually, it's simple, but it's got kind of a heroic, amped up kind of feel to it. And and they use variations of it in, in the actual show, too. Like, there's a normal version, there's like a guitar version. And then there's this weird version, it doesn't play it in any of the episodes we watch, but... It plays it a couple of times where it sounds like it's being played by a broken horn or something. Oh, dear. (laughs) And I'm like, I I wonder if that one was meant to be like a theme for Dexter or something, but it just gets kind of played randomly. Hmm. But yeah, in that intro, it's like we see uh, Kimberly and Space Ace go to stop Borf and Borf hits him with the Infanto Ray. Kind of like in the intro to the game, but in a completely different setting. Also, Space Ace is portrayed as, like, almost superhuman levels of strong in this intro. Yeah, he knocks down an entire armored column holding up Borf and his weaponry. Yeah, it's like, it's like, he's Superman now? <laughs> I mean, we, we've heard of saving most of the action for the intro, but this is ridiculous. It's like, yeah, in the intro, he gets jumped by a bunch of groups, which is kind of funny, because whenever that happens, you can see Kimberly just walk off, see? (laughs) And he just powers them all off, then he gets hit by the beam, and turns into Dexter, and Kimberly pushes him out of the way before he gets hit by the beam again, which God knows what that would have done. And then he powers back randomly into Space Ace, and just pushes that whole fucking column down, like, nothing! You lost me at the Groots, because, uh, I am Groot. <laughs> yeah, funny. I am Groot. Okay, it's out of my system now. <laughs> yeah, the, the cat monster things in Space Ace are called Groots for re- some reason. Yeah, but it's hilarious in hindsight now, given the massive popularity of Guardians of the Galaxy. This is true. Which, no, I guess you have to say Borf's pretty strong, too, because Borf survived be- that whole column falling down like it was nothing. He just gets up and gets into the spaceship and drives off. And so the setup for continued adventure is laid, and we can now dive into the first of our two episodes. We're only doing two because, again, we don't want to subject ourselves to too much more. 
before we get into the episode, though, there is one thing I wanted to state. This is not the first cartoon that I know of with a character named Space Ace in it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Hanna-Barbera had a show called uh, Astro and the Space Mutts in the uh, early 80s. Oh, uh, right! Was, and the main guy in that is named uh, Space Ace, the guy yeah. in charge of the Space Mutts. Yeah, that was their anthology when they revived Space Ghost and the Herculoids. Yep, and then they had these super star teens or something like that. Or Teen Force, I think it was. And then it was like, yeah, Astro and the Space Mutts, which, oh boy, that show's bad. Hmm. Um, but Space Ace on that is voiced by Michael Bell, ironically. And in it, you just feel sorry for him because Astro and all of these dogs that he has to take care of do nothing but cause him trouble. And every episode, is he's just like, Mom told me to become a dentist. I should have become a dentist. And he's just like, every episode is just him just feeling like so let down in his life. And I'm just kind of like, God, I feel sorry for this guy. But the hmm. point is, yeah, he was also named Space Ace. Ironically, that didn't cause any copyright issues for as far as I know. Yeah. Although in, in the case of this adaptation, it helped that both Hanna-Barbera and Ruby Spears were owned by Taft Broadcasting. Yep. And they were sharing a lot of the same people on staff too. So. All right. And anything else we wanted to hit up real quick? No, not that I can think of. I think that was it. I just, I had to mention that there was another space <laughs> at some point. Hey, okay. I mean, it's it rhymes. Of course, someone else is going to come up with it. Which, uh, oh, I don't look forward to the day that we have to do Astro in the Space Mutts. <laughs> well, let let's save that for a long while from now. Next episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll we'll get into next episode la- later when we do our commercial break. Of course. Yes. For now, it's time to to get into the dangerous decoy. I I would just say that. Uh, science fairs in the future are neat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. We open with Ace and Kim presenting the first place trophy of a science fair to a young girl named Emmy Sue Perkins, who won for her video dematerializer. Now, already I'm having issues with this episode because they show this in a high school. And Emmy does not look like a high schooler. And the kids surrounding her sound even less like high schoolers. Uh, now, granted, there's a couple re- things that you could explain this with. It could be that this was the biggest gym they had access to. Or perhaps Emmy's a child prodigy would certainly explain her scientific acumen. That is possible. Though, I, if I do remember right, I think when I was in grade school, due to the fact that they had a... I think they actually would help hold our science fairs at, like... Uh, the high when I was in grade school would high would actually have our uh, science fairs at the high school because it just had a bigger place to do it. But I also lived in a small town, so that also mm. might have something to do with it. Yeah, my grade school didn't have the budget for science fairs, Oof. Mm. but um, that that's a tangent. I, I do want to give credit that uh, Emmy Sue is very <laughs> southern, so I I'm just happy to see like that dumb southern like stereotype not being portrayed here. <laughs> yeah. And before anybody thinks it, no, I am not getting an attraction to this particular voice because this is clearly a kid's voice. I go for strictly for adults. I'm not a weirdo. And rabbits. Oh, uh, okay. I'm somewhat of a weirdo. <laughs> but not that kind of weirdo. <laughs> not the dangerous kind. 
See, <laughs> I, I I can't lie on that. I also like Bunny Rabot in the Sonic set AM, but that's right. beside the point. Yeah, but Emmy Sue is very southern, so which you know that's cool. It gives a random like bit of additional characterization for a character that's not going to get very much characterization. So mm. credit to whoever decided to do that. So yeah. So what did she win for? Her video deep materializer allows her to shoot people with a laser gun and then put them on a TV because she records them on tape. I can't even wrap my head around how that would work. Neither can I, but at the same time, I can find a cultural frame of reference. It's Wonka Vision that actually works. Nice. And, and she demonstrates this on Space Ace himself and puts the disc onto a nearby TV. And then the first transformation of the episode occurs. Inside the TV, he goes from being, hey, this is cool. I'm on TV. Hey, that actually wasn't a bad imitation of his voice. To uh, <laughs> turning into Dexter going, I don't want to be on TV. <laughs> What's going on? And this could be written off as a glitch with the device. Emmy gets Dexter out, and then Transformation 2 happens. And you would think nobody would be the wiser, but Kim actually tells the secret to Emmy. Yeah, it's like, oh no, the problem is with Space Ace. Though I don't think she got... All she says is the problem isn't with your device, it's with Space Ace, which Space Ace looks very unhappy about. (laughs) But I don't think she gets what she meant by that, as obviously as this show goes on, but... It does also get point out one of the issues I do have with this whole transformation thing is there's one really big inconsistency with this show, which is sometimes when he changes back and forth, it feels like he knows what's going on, and sometimes it feels like he's a completely different person and has no clue what's going on. No kidding. In fact, I think it's inconsistent within this ep- it's episode. Because, yeah, because like it felt like Dexter had no clue what was going on when it, Space Ace turned into him inside the uh, TV. Right. Though I do want to say that uh, I do need to record an out-of-context scene for this, because that whole scene where it's like, say cheese! <laughs> say cheese! Uh, space Limburger Ace. cheese! <laughs> I say Limburger cheese, Space Ace, and he's like, cheese! And then blasts him, and he's just gone. <laughs> it's like, out of context, that's kind of hysterical. It is. Now, meanwhile, Borf catches wind of this device, and talks to his uh, second-in-command, whose name I n- never pick up. Oh, gosh, I don't... Let me see. Distinctive Uh, robot design, little floating guy with a wire mustache and a couple of uh, electric batons he uses for his attacks. Yeah, I forgot what his name was, but he's he's actually appears in the game, but it's very brief. Uh, Yeah. Let's see if I can't remember what his name is. Legrin. It's Legrin. Legrin, thank you. He's also voiced by Peter Renaday. Ah, Okay. So Borf sicks some uh, human goons to capture Emmy, and they find her as Ace and Kim are taking their leave, and Emmy is happily walking her dog Fifi while carrying her trophy. Her dog Fifi looks like it's something out of the Pac-Man cartoon. Yeah. (laughs) But then as the goons try to accost her, Fifi starts making like Fizz Gig from the Dark Crystal. And it's like, oh, Fifi wouldn't hurt a flea. Yes, that's why we're going to flee! Ha, 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 ha. The, 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 these are like Borf needs better like goons. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Like, even the bad cartoon goons would probably laugh at how pathetic these guys are. Still, they're nothing if not determined, as they decide to try again in a grocery store where Fifi can't go in and is tied up to a post. At least they're learning from their mistakes. Which shows how dated this is. Um, Yeah, yeah. Now, in the era of service dogs, uh, it's a whole different story. And there's some places that are just okay with you bringing dogs these days, as long as they're behaved. But, yeah, tying up a dog is very frowned upon these ages. (laughs) We're tying them to a post like that. Yeah. So, conveniently, Ace and Kim show up at that moment, and Ace goes in to tail the goons. And we get a semi-comical grocery store chase for a moment. I... I I do have a question. What was Space Ace doing telling Emmy Sue in the first place? That's fair. I don't see why they'd have a reason yet. They haven't caught wind of Borf's plan. It's and, and Kim going along with it, too. Yeah, they're just randomly doing it. It's like, I've got questions, guys. Are you stalking this poor little girl? <laughs> or you just want to make sure nothing happens with her cool device? So, some jet-fueled shopping carts and a vegetable crash landing later, Space Ace interrogates the goons, and they spill right away. And then we get transformation number three. Before that, though, there's another great out-of-context line, which is uh, Space Ace going, Tell Space Ace what you're into! Besides the vegetables. Yeah, but it'd be cut it off. It's even better. <laughs> True. <laughs> no, saying other than vegetables isn't very good either. No. At least, at least he didn't say what I thought he was going to say when I first watched this, because at first I thought he was going to say, tell old Space Ace what you're into, other than little girls. Oh, oh dear. We're, yeah, there's no avoiding some of these contexts, is there? <laughs> no. These writers, I don't, really aren't thinking through some of these lines, I think. Granted, they've only got ten minutes to get their point across, but still... It's not the worst one I can think of. That would go to the Mega Man cartoon, but I'll save that for whenever we actually yeah. do discuss that cartoon. The And I thought it was just me adding more work to our plate. <laughs> not that I'm complaining. <laughs> so transformation but. number three occurs after Ace learns the plan, and these goons are so dumb, they don't even realize that Ace and Dex are the same person. It, this happens a lot in this show, where he'll just transform right in front of people, and they'll just be like, "He'll be like, who the heck's this guy?" And it's like, dude, he literally transformed right in front of you. Like Space Commander Vaughn has several scenes. Oh wait, we didn't mention Space Marshal Vaughn thinks that Dexter is Kimberly's little brother for some reason, <laughs> which has confused some people in thinking that they uh, retcon Space Ace to be Kimberly's sister, but I don't think that's the case. I think that's just the excuse they're using to protect, you know. The, the identity, yeah. But yeah, there's like one episode where like Space Ace transforms right in front of Space Marshal Vaughn. His instant response is Dexter! And then calling up Kimberly, what's your little brother do here? And then he transfers back and it's like oh, Space Ace, I'm glad you're here. It's just like, it's like what the heck? Why are they even trying to keep the secret of this guy so dense? Yeah, it's like, why? Why? Anyways, so, finding out that Borf is, what Borf's plan is, that he's trying to get the video dematerializer, and Space Ace turning into Dexter allows the goons to get away. 
they come up with a plan to dress Dexter as Emmy Sue as a decoy. And Dexter, of course, protests, but we get a Gilligan cut. Because, you know, cross-dressing is funny. Or so a lot of these old shows really seem to think. <laughs> now, of course, you know what a Gilligan cut is, right, Pemmy? Yeah, it's just when it's straight. Or uh, that's when the, the down cut or whatever. Well, it's what it is when somebody's saying, no, that's not going to happen. I'm absolutely not going to do it. And then you and then, cut to them doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, sorry. my You said Gilligan cut for some weird reason. I thought you said guillotine cut. Oh, <laughs> That's why I got confused for a second. I was like, hey, I didn't think it did that. No, uh, we saved yeah. the guillotine for, mis- for Mr. Howell and Lovey. <laughs> Oof. Eat but, the uh, rich. <laughs> yeah, you sadly, can tell where my politics are. While I agree with those politics, I sadly think that... Uh, actually, Thurston Howell is probably my favorite character on Gilligan's Island, though. <laughs> but, well, then again, I guess I can't... Despite... Having similar beliefs, I, I guess I can't. I'm a bit of a hypocrite because my favorite Disney character is literally Scrooge McDuck. But yeah, but I, I think I th- we'll get into Scrooge another time. We are definitely <laughs> planning on a Ducktales episode, after all. Of course, it's one of my favorite shows ever. Now, here's the crazy thing about this cross-dressing plan: it works. Very well. It works despite the fact he's literally talking to Kimberly on his little wrist like communicator about what this plan is. <laughs> now, here's my biggest problem with this stupid ass plan. Why did they give him the video material dematerializer if he's a decoy? Yeah, they should have just made a decoy dematerializer. Yeah. <laughs> or just not had it <laughs> or something. Mm. But Nope, they gave it to Dexter, so now Borf has access to what he thinks is Emmy Sue and the video dematerializer. Which also, for whatever reason, Kimberly decides to bring Emmy Sue with her to stop Borf. Oh no, somebody call Child Protective Services. It's like, yes, let's endanger pedestrians like a good... uh... And while Kim and Emmy Sue are tailing them, Dex is annoying the goons with, Are we almost there? Which they threaten to break his dolly. <laughs> it's like, these are the most ineffective goons ever. So once I... Dexter is brought to Borf's lab, he makes a, tries to make a sly move on the Infanto Ray to, to find the reversal. I'll give them a point for that. Uh, we're going to take away that point later, but we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but Borf sets, quote-unquote, her to work on demonstrating the dematerializer. Dex decides to give uh, Borf a close-up and removes Borf's head. And somehow he's alive. <laughs> and still talking. With a very high-pitched voice. I hope that's not his neck hole that's doing that talking. <laughs> no kidding. Also, Dexter keeps calling him Uncle Borfy. <laughs> And so Dex restores the head backwards and has to twist it back in place. Now, I can actually buy into this because Worf is not human, and his biology could very well be some strong stuff for all we know. That looks painful as hell, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It sounded painful, too. 
Yeah, though I'm glad they used the rubber sound effect, the cartoon rubber sound effect, instead of like making like bone cracking sound effects. So Borf has to get the fake Emmy on his lap, and that's when Transformation Four kicks in. It's like Space Ace truly dressed as a little girl in my lab and in your lap. Why did he think that's a good response? <laughs> And on your lap... No, I can't do... I, I lost the voice now, but... Yeah, it's like, what? It's like, Space Ace, really? That's your comeback is... And on your lap. It's like, you, you need to work on your comebacks, guy. Yeah, yeah. Go, go watch some James Bond movies. Or some Roddy Piper promos. So... so now the chase is on, and uh, Ace is video videographing a bunch of Borf's minions, Kim catches up, and then Emmy finds the Infanto Ray. And actually seemingly fixes it. <laughs> fixes Borf's design. Yeah, although what she really does is make it work on him. And shoots him with it and turns him into a baby. And Ace catches Borf on video, figuratively and literally, and then Transformation 5 kicks in, and Dexter form proceeds to screw everything up by drop by somehow ejecting the disc out of the uh, the gun or the uh, dematerializer, mm-hmm. leaving it in Worf's ship. Also, I'm going to throw out that they did not grab the Infanto ray, which could have been used to gasp fix Space Ace's problem. Oh no, kidding! Where? Where are their priorities? This I guess they a... thought with Borf encapsulated, they could do that any time. Yeah, that... it's, it's the best guess I've got. I'm not saying it's a good one, but it's still the only one. Except this isn't the only episode that that's happened either. <laughs> but uh... And what's even crazier is Dexter manages to de-videofy them from a distance of who knows how many miles. Hey, maybe they have really good Bluetooth in the future. Could be. It'd, it'd be the one part that has aged well of this cartoon, tech-wise. So, yeah, they as they're far away from Borf's ship, Dexter, they find out that Dexter dropped this disc, and trying to figure out what's going on, Dexter hits the, the cancel button and turns Borf back, making this whole mission absolutely pointless. But Emmy thinks Dex is cute, so... Eh, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, considering mm. what Dex's real form is. Yeah. Oof. Oof. So, we're gonna go get some brain bleach, and we'll be right back after these messages. Saturday's Supercade will return after these messages. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, we've seen cartoon characters who always have a gadget for whatever situation comes up, but how many of them were given the unlikely name of Rhubarb? Round Cats, a Depate Freeling production made alongside Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, and with voices by Dawes Butler and Michael Bell, feels like something Hanna-Barbera would make. It's the crossroads of animation history in two weeks. Back to Saturday's Supercade. Well, now that we've recovered from that, I think we better approach the other one. 
I, I'm not fully recovered because I still can't get over how fucking pointless. What was the point of their freaking mission? <laughs> they did nothing. They succeeded at absolutely nothing. Well, let's see if they can succeed at anything in the very next episode in production order. Moon Missile Madness. Alliteration. Yes. I, I like it. And we're opening up hot in this episode, as Ace and Kim are under assault from what looks like an outer space motorcycle gang. Led by Jocko, voiced by Michael Bell. Yep. Now, Transformation 1 occurs in mid-dogfight, and this causes the gang to get away, and then Transformation 2 happens. This is probably one of the worst episodes to turn Ace's transformations into a drinking game. Oh, it happens all over the place in this episode. Yes. So their plan is to dress up like in very flimsy disguises and claim that they want to join Jocko's gang to find out what they're trying to do. Yep, and they do this in a cantina totally not inspired by Star Wars. Nope, nope, not at all. Uh-uh, uh-uh, can't sue them. Nope, nope, nope. I, I nope. just love <laughs> I just love that like Space Ace is literally just wearing a helmet for his disguise and Kimberly's wearing a helmet and a mustache. Yeah, and, and they give themselves the identities of Knuckles and Rocket, respectively. Was it Rocket? I thought she said Roxy. <laughs> Rocky. I, I, I thought she said Rocky, but it might have been well, Rocket. Well, either way, e- either way, Jocko says that they're in the gang if they can keep up with him. And we should mention that Jocko was riding his bike in the cantina, and he rides it out as well. I can't imagine the patrons much like that. <laughs> when when you're the big bad, I mean, I guess that's who's going to stop you. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Space Ace and Kimberly chase after him, and they go through like some poor alien's like apartment or something. You know, I thought it was a hotel, but either like, way, they catch a poor guy shaving and loosen the towel he was working with, which lands in Kim's face, causing her to wreck, but conveniently land on Space Ace's cycle. Okay, let's ignore how she could possibly have landed on his bike, considering the velocity they must have been going at. Cartoons. <laughs> yep. Yep, cartoons indeed. And, and Space Ace is being his usual over-egotistical over self, constantly taunting Jocko's like, when are you going to give us something ho- when are you going to give us something? I can't do it now. God dang it. I was doing it good earlier and now I can't do it. But it's like, when are you going to give us, when are you actually going to challenge us? And that's when Transformation 3 hits. Yep. Which means Kimberly has to take over driving. And she keeps them in the running long enough until Transformation 4 occurs. So that Space Ace turns back to normal and everything looks good and they get to make the gang just barely. Yeah. And the next scene has them on their first assignment as part of the gang, wrecking a bridge over a canyon. I guess it's nice to know that taking out trains is still a thing in the future. Indeed. You know, if, if, if the tech still works, the tech still works, I guess. But Jocko has his regulars make sure the train arrives. I don't think they need to do that, but... Yeah, you know, if something holds them up, they'll, they'll know, I guess. Yeah. While he and the disguised heroes set up the blast packs. The intended target is a moon defense shattering missile that Borf wants. It's like, we're gonna, it's, Borf's gonna make this into a big Borf 
what was it? Big four face. Well, we can insert the audio right here. Yeah, this town's gonna be one big four face. And I could not face palm hard enough. <laughs> I, I remember when you saw that I showed you this ep- when you saw this episode in like uh, an art stream I was doing. You were just like, "That's the line." <laughs> Yeah, if I'm going to do one per show, it's going to be memorable. <laughs> and then transformation number five strikes at the end of all this exposition from Jocko. Causing them to fall with Dexter barely holding on. Kimberly tries to pull him up only for Dexter to pull her down. And they are both hanging off of the girder. Cue commercial break. Because, you know, got to have that stinger. Yep. Cliffhanger. Or girder hanger in this case. Ha! And when we come back from commercial, transformation number six kicks in, and Ace pulls them both up. And Kim starts researching the missile, and it turns out it's the... the I couldn't catch it when I was watching this, and I had to rewind several times to try to figure out what mis- the name of the missile was. I could swear I was hearing Bone Missile, but that can't be right. No, it's Moon Missile. It is moon missile. just okay. Moon Missile. Mm. It's like... They didn't even try. <laughs> wow. They couldn't have done another take of that line. That The missile that Borf is going to use to destroy the moon colony is called the moon missile. And while they're researching, Jocko catches up to them as the train is arriving and Ace verbally covers their tracks. Figurative like, tracks, not literal train tracks. Because <laughs> it's like, we need to stop it. It's like, stop what? Stop this train. <laughs> Now, while Jocko's distracted getting into position, Ace pulls a wire out of the ignition device and disables it. Nice little mundane solution. Whatever works. Yeah, it works, and you'd think they'd be scot-free, but then all the wind from that fast train blows off Kim's paper-thin disguise. And what gets me is Jocko seems to be more offended that it's a woman rather than an infiltrator. It was the early 80s. Yep. Sexism is still in the space ace future, seemingly. Yep. He lunges, they dodge, and then they catch up to the train on foot. Their dogs must have been barking after that. They're fast, that's all I have yeah. to say. Now, we don't know 100% sure how fast that train is going, but it, it still feels like a stretch. And as they try to like get into the train to prevent everything, ah, another transformation. Yep, number seven. Kim has to pull him in, but Jocko catches Dexter, and his gang catches Kim, and they proceed to the launch site. Which also props to Jocko, because he instantly figured out that's still Space Ace. Hmm. Because, yeah, because he's like, caught Dexter, he's like, I thought you wanted to join the gang! And like, not anymore! I've changed my mind! But he instantly knew it was still Space Ace. A guy that clever is, is misapplying himself. Smart as guy in this cartoon, probably. (laughs) Now, at the launch site, Borf congratulates Jocko, and the heroes are loaded into the moon missile before it launches. And at no point do Borf and the biker gang seek any shelter or anything like that for the launch of, you know, an interplanetary missile. Maybe it has less explosive after-effects in the future. Ugh. I hope so, because otherwise they they would have been shattered. I I do weirdly kind of like that uh, Borf notes that's like 
finally, I'll, I can get rid of this Moon Colony, Space Command, and Space Ace, currently as Dexter. <laughs> they just add that kind of at the end, and I'm just like, alright. <laughs> so in the missile, Dexter and Kim are bickering over how to proceed. Kim wants to set them free, Dex wants to open a hatch, which proves disastrous. Kinda. Once he turns back into Space Ace, which instantly breaks the uh, ropes, which that's, I'm... Yep, that's transformation number eight if you're keeping track at home. Which I'm actually kind of surprised that Orph didn't think about that since he knows that Space Ace is Dexter and that yep. that's an effect. Typical villainous arrogance. But I, I will say, if there's anything I can say about this cartoon is I think at least some of the writers at least played the game because... Once he turns into Space Ace, we get a scene that's practically right out of the game. Oh, yeah. I had had the same reaction. Except animated nowhere near as good. (laughs) No. But eventually, they reach the control panel without having to use any quarters to continue. (laughs) And they start turning the moon missile around. Borf, however, has his own controller, and they begin a joystick tug of war. Because that's totally how remote controls work. Yeah. I also like that this is a far-flung future, and it's controlled by this, like, up-and-down-only joystick that somehow is completely controlling the spaceship. So Jocko's gang lends their strength to Borf's side of the struggle as the missile reaches the moon. We see it go back and forth a few more times for the drama. And then Ace and Kim pull one last time, and the controller on Borf's end breaks off. How does... How does... How? (laughs) Yeah, basically that in as many words. How? Now you'd think this would be a good ending for this episode. Everything's nice and tidily done, but nope, Borf isn't giving up. He decides to go directly to the missile and somehow catches up with it really fast. (laughs) I'll say. Then Ace leaps onto Jocko's motorbike. Uh, Borf had hitched a ride on Jocko's ride and melts part of the bike into slag, destabilizing it. Causing them to fly off into the space. Yeah. Which, by the way, does Borf breathe in... Borf's... How, wait, they don't have space helmets. I thought they, they did. Borf didn't have a space helmet, did he? We should double check. I can edit this part out. See, I, I, I gotta check that, because I've got some serious questions if... No, Borf has a spaceship. He does have a. He has, he has that fishbowl helmet, generic yeah. fishbowl helmet. Okay. Yeah, the same kind that protected Shira. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> so Marshall Vaughn is congratulating them on video screen, and Ace asks what to do with the missile. Uh, and Vaughn is just like, "Oh, you. I'm sure you'll find some place to park it." Uh, they did all right, right next to his car. If you put a squ- one scratch on that car, Space Ace... Well, you're gonna need a wash pretty badly, but no scratches! As it's completely covered in suit and probably completely burned. <laughs> <laughs> Which it ends with Vaughn <laughs> pretty much crying and slamming his like fist onto the ground. And so, yeah, that's basically Space Ace. It's basically these types of shenanigans for 13 10-minute episodes. Well, to their credit, they at least accomplished something in this. They did save a moon colony, and yeah. they did get back the missile. So. Very true, on both counts. Though they could have also caught Borf, but, you know. Mm, yeah. 
But as far as a fr- being a franchise goes, Space Ace just hits a dead end after this. You know, we had already mentioned the Laserdisc game boom went to bust, and the Saturday Supercade went off the air as the Fall 85 season began. There was an attempt to revive it in the, I think the 2000s, because they did a, like, Space Ace and Dragon's Lair, like, comic book series. Okay. And, uh... I don't remember if they actually finished them or not. It ended up being a case of like the company that was doing it. And the art was really nice in them. Um, ended up the dragon's lair one, I think is a retelling. The space ace one continued from the end of space ace where their attempts to cure him instead causes more problems where he start now has problems with switching between space ace Dexter and a really old space ace. Hmm. The whole Ant-Man experience. And uh, Borf seemingly has a brother named Dorf or something that looks just like him. And ends up changing his brother back to normal because the end of the game. Wait, Dorf? Yeah, I don't I don't remember if it was Dorf or something. I just remember it rhymed with Borf. And it looked just like Borf. Oh, man. Borf and Tim Conway united. We don't stand a chance. <laughs> you knew I was going to go there. Yeah, but that was all they got. And after that, though, yeah, nothing. But incidentally, these 13 episodes would be the only ones to regularly reappear on broadcast television. Thanks to uh, I forgot what it was called. It was on Cartoon Network. It was like their action hour or something. Right. It popped up there. I think it was used on a super chunk at one point. And then later, it would pop up on Boomerang's Boomer Action Block. It also appeared on Cartoon Network. used to have this random deal where I think it was Saturdays they would do a marathon of random cartoons. And Space Ace actually got marathoned once. Yep, that was Super Chunk. Ah, thank you. Yeah, I actually watched that because, like I said, when I was a teenager, for whatever reason, I actually thought the show was enjoyable. And rewatching it, it's like, ooh, no. <laughs> Entertainable, but entertaining maybe for the wrong reasons. Normally, this is the point of the podcast where I ask Pemmy if this show has stood the test of time in some clever fashion associated with the show, but you've heard us by this point. Here's also one other thing I have to say. Despite the fact that I do like... Despite the fact he hasn't done much else that we could find uh i liked jim piper's space ace voice i'll give credit to that i always like arthur Bernhardt. oh yes but weirdly i have to say i actually despite that i actually like the voice actors in the game better and what's funny about that is none of them were professional voice actors Hmm. they were all people that worked on the game pretty much funny how that works out huh yeah because i actually like all those voices better uh, Borf sounds really threatening, but that's pretty much because they put a big audio effect to him. I like Kimberly's kind of saucy attitude and voice, and I, I even like Dexter and Space Ace's voice better in the game, which is weird. Also, this is also a weird case where you can say an 80s cartoon based on an 80s game looks worse <laughs> than the game it's based on. Yeah. This cartoon looks so bad compared to that game. And that game's budget wasn't great either. They just had Don Bluth. (laughs) This is the first time we're reviewing a video game adaptation, but it won't be the last. We could do an entire two months of podcasts on Sonic alone if we wanted to. 
Jeez, is there any? I don't think there's any video game character that's had as many cartoons as Sonic. The only one I can think of that comes close is possibly Donkey Kong. Yeah, well, I guess arguably Mario, but I kind of consider all three Mario cartoons kind of continuations of the same thing. Right. Uh, there's there's the one the, the there's the NES era Mario anthology. There's Mario's appearance in Donkey Kong, and there's that. Uh, there's those Japanese things that were OVAs. There's that 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 theatrical animated Mario movie. That's an experience. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that, but boy, it's a it's a thing. <laughs> and of course, there's going to be the one from Illumination coming up in a couple years. I am. I will. I, I'd be more excited if it was a different company. I'll say hmm. that. Well, Illumination doesn't produce bad stuff, but. They their stuff does start to get a little samey. They, they they're mediocre. I think is the best. Their stuff isn't exactly great, but it's not exactly bad. It's just everything feels like. Well, okay, there's some exceptions. Hop is terrible, but I mean, a lot of their stuff just feels like it runs right in the middle for me. It's like I, I'll most of the stuff I've watched. It's like I I don't. And it's like yeah, this is okay, but I I never want to watch it again. I'm just, but I don't feel. You know, like, oh God, either. So, you know, they came out the gate pretty hot with the original Despicable Me. But yeah. after that, I, I feel like they've kind of, they're leaning a little hard on the minions. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, it's probably going to be a be- basic, serviceable Mario movie, is what I'm expecting. Mm. Which means it'll probably be better than the live action movie at the very least. Yeah. It, it's so going to take I, a while for them to top. Uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie and Detective Pikachu. I like Detective Pikachu. That was actually surprisingly really good. I, I enjoyed it too, and Sonic was certainly serviceable. I, I actually have not seen that yet, but it, I've heard, from what I've heard is it, it's it's good. It's a good, fun movie. It's not great, but it's it's good fun. It's a perfectly above-average kids movie. But we're also getting off the subject of Space Ace. So. Yeah, but that's but, mostly because we've run out of things to talk about on Space Ace. I do have one thing to say. Okay. And that's the saddest thing to say. Of the Saturday Morning Super K block, this is sadly one of the better shows in that block. Oh, yeah. Not even Peter Cullen could rescue Donkey Kong. Peter Cullen, as the voice of Mario, sounds like it should be awesome, and it's unfortunately not. No. But I'll save that for when we actually do talk about that show. But yeah, this one's not great. It's it's pretty bad. Sometimes it can be hokey and cheesy kind of fun, but a lot of times it's just bad. Right. (laughs) But it's it's not like... It's bad, but not like god-awfully terrible either. So... I would say if I was to rate all of these Super Cage shows from best to worst, I would say this would be number three. So mm. take that however you want, because most of those are bad. <laughs> I think the worst one was Kangaroo, but. Eh. Oh, I think it's just about time we restocked the breakfast cereal. Oh. Folks, until next time, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Gorgie. Thanks for tuning in, and good night. See ya. The companion James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Alright, guys, boys, that's cute and all. 
but can I get back to my game? Sorry. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.